listener production. Hello and welcome to Ashes Talk. It is Willow Talk's Ashes updates every single match day of the series. Day three completed at the Oval and it was a powerful and impressive day from England, which for an Aussie cricket fan is not so good. England, nine for 389. It's a lead of 377. I'm Jack Heverin alongside Sam Ferris and England well and truly took the honours on day three, Sam. They did. It was another impressive display of baseball cricket by England. Australia, again, didn't have too many answers. And the wickets they did take, a lot of them were batter errors, trying to up the run rate. Uh, But even still, we're going to have a big run chase on our hands. But the big news of the day, Jack, came at stumps with Stuart Broad announcing his retirement from Test cricket. Uh, We're going to get to this a little bit later Mm on. Um, Are you a little bit surprised? Yeah and no. I mean, Jimmy Anderson's still going around. Happy birthday to Jimmy. He's 41 today on Sunday. So happy birthday, Jimmy. Um, I'm sure he'll be wanting to celebrate the milestone with a victory. But he's played a lot of test cricket. He's got a kid either on the way or or just come into the world. So he's a dad now, uh, new phase of his career. And you you hear the way he talks. He he, He won't be lost the game. He'll be in the comm box ASAP. He's, uh, he's a natural. We'll talk more about that later on. Let's start at the very start of the day and the way that England approached the first hour. And you know, basball is the most commonly used cricket term in the last seven or eight <laughs> weeks. Uh, this felt like something more than basball, Sam. It just felt like pure brutality from England. It felt like England were up for this day and Australia weren't. You've got to think that the wind was out of the sails the way that they collapsed on day two and not taking that big advantage into the third day in that first innings. A 12-run lead was wiped out in the first over when Mitch Stark went for 13 and the first ball of the innings again went for four. Uh, it was just that intent. You know, I think Australia felt like they had missed their opportunity on day two to put themselves in a commanding position. They let it slip um, and then England full of confidence the sun was out. Uh, the pitch was doing nothing. The ball barely moved until 15 or 16 overs, as we see with the Duke's ball. And, yeah, they cashed in. And Australia's tactics, again, will come under the microscope. Uh, they brought the field up, but then they put some of the field back. Uh, mm. They bowled two sides of the wicket. Ricky Ponting, very critical on commentary about Pat Cummins' tactics there. Yeah, it wasn't a great day, but... Uh, that's what it is, this series. We'll get to it a bit later on, but Australia going to probably draw this series to all, um, having been outplayed for a majority of the series. And had it have not been for weather in Manchester, yeah. um, I can't help but wonder whether we'd be having a different conversation right now. Yeah, that's true. But you know, having said that, Australia did win the first two tests. They were holders of the urn, having won how many... Uh, let me quickly do the naps of my 13 of the past 15 Ashes Test matches on home soil. So they deserve the right to, to be in that position. But uh, since that since that third test uh, at Leeds, where England got the win, narrowly getting over the line, yeah, they dominated the fourth test and they're dominating this one. So they were airborne, none for 55. Mitch Stark comes back into the attack. Nicks off Ben Duckett with a ball that, well, he tried to tell everyone he didn't hit. Um <laughs> Alex Carey was pretty convinced, so they go upstairs for a review, and as the players do, they kind of all congregate on the side of the wicket. The batsman was there, and Mitch Stark sort of looks at Ben Duckett, and he, he goes, oh, no, I didn't, I didn't hit that one. I didn't hit that one. <laughs> and then Ultra Edge comes up, and he absolutely smashed it. 
He almost meddled it. Uh, yeah, I think Ben Duckett sort of gave the, I don't know, which is code for I absolutely hit it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a weird one because Stark was interested, Kerry was interested, Dave Warner wasn't interested. I think Cameron Green was fielding at the time. He wasn't that interested. Uh, yeah, but he meddled it. Uh, you said England none for 55. They got that in turnovers. Australia added 54 runs in the first session on day two. So certainly you can see the the contrasting game styles there. And again, maybe the conditions as well. It was sunny and mm. we know what the ball does under cloudy skies in England. But Duckett, very difficult to bowl to. He's only a short man, but he's got all the shots, can hit them everywhere. Uh, they brought square leg up for a majority of his innings and it seemed to work because he'd been getting off strike, hitting it down to the leg side for an easy one. Uh, but just too many loose balls and he yep. was picking the gaps. He batted well. Um, Stark, expensive, none for 22 off his first two overs, dragged out of the attack but came back when that lacquer was off the ball and found a bit of swing. And then with Moen Ali being injured, there was a bit of conversation about who was going to bat number three. I, I saw some tweets from people in the venue saying that Mark Wood was padded up, and I thought, <laughs> oh, surely not. Surely not. But it was the captain, Ben Stokes, who took the responsibility on and walked out to the wicket. It, it was like um, a heavyweight boxer walking out with the intro music or, for, for those who like it, something like at WrestleMania with a bloke walking out to his <laughs> theme music. Ben Stokes walked out to the middle with a look on his face of it's showtime and it's my time. Yeah. I mean, King Charles didn't get that kind of reception at his coronation. Uh, <laughs> he's the most loved man in England at the moment. Maybe he's still broad now after his announcement today, but uh, he looks so easy. He looks like a natural number three, but given his destructive abilities with the tail uh, and the way that England go about their business, they don't need him there at the moment. Interesting to see – who takes a spot for India. We're looking a bit ahead to the Ashes now if Ollie Pope doesn't get right, but that's an important position they need to fill. Will he do it in India? Probably not, but maybe Harry Brook in those conditions can yeah. go up to number three. Uh, but, yeah, he looked great. Him and Crawley uh, just took the game away from Australia. One for 130 at lunch. Uh, Crawley, again, great. We It's funny with Crawley because you know where he doesn't like it, but Australia just didn't get, get it there enough. They, he's loose outside the off stump. He's... Uh, tremendously strong on the pads and anything sort of uh, short. He's a great puller of the ball for a tall man, but uh, they just didn't bowl there enough. And maybe to his credit, he was standing on off stump trying to make them bowl to his areas a bit more, um, but imperious. And with a lead of 118 at lunch, the sun out, nine wickets in hand, it was going to be a long day for Australia. He got a life, a tough chance, hit one down to fine leg. Mitchell Stark tried to, well, do the catch that Ben Stokes did the day before, but couldn't negotiate the rope this time around. So he moves on from there. Not long after that, Pat Cummins nicks off Zach Crawley and Australia finally get a breakthrough in it. It kind of felt like there might be a chance for them to build a little bit of momentum, but enter Joe Root, another who walked to the crease just clear with what he wanted to do. Yeah, he's really good batter. <laughs> I don't know what to say. He comes out, as you said, Stokes gets a life hooking that ball. Mitch Stark can't quite do the business on fine leg. Cummins gets Crawley and you think, right, Australia back in the game here. But Joe Root just looked on from ball one. He did it easy. He got to his 50 and 42 balls. He was uppercutting it. He was yep. scooping it. He was playing traditional cricket shots, clips through the leg side. Uh, he's just a class batter. He doesn't. There's not many batters around the world that make batting look as easy as Joe Root when he's in that kind of form. And what a transition his career has taken – 
since he's lost the captaincy the past couple of years, it just seems to have freed him up a little bit. All he has to do is worry about scoring runs and he's doing a great job of it. Uh, I actually thought he was on for it for an easy century here. It looked like it, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. it did. Yeah. But, you know, I guess the way they were attacking and a bit of bad luck from Joe Root, which will send some shivers down the spines of the Aussies a bit later on. So Todd Murphy picked up Ben Stokes, which again is good for his confidence. Um, it was a pretty tough day at the office for Toddy Murphy. Ended up yeah. with uh, with figures over 100, which is never good if you're a spinner. Harry Brook came and went pretty quickly. Then Johnny Bairstow and Joe Root got together. The two Yorkshiremen who have batted together so often in county cricket, in international cricket, and they just they were untouchable. 110 from 148. Bairstow, 50 from 60. Um, this was... If we looked helpless at the start of the inning, Sam, <laughs> we weren't far off it with this partnership. We had absolutely no answers. Yeah, if I thought Rue was going to get 100, I was almost certain that Bearstow was going to the way he was hitting the ball. Uh, yeah, they just took the game beyond Australia, scoring at will, uh, 110 of 148 balls, as you said. Pretty quick stuff. Loose outside the off stump, Australia. Bearstow cashed in, slapping that ball backward and in front of point. Yeah, Murphy, tough day at the office. They didn't stick to the guns, I feel, uh, you know, I feel like they went a bit defensive with Murphy mm. too often. He just, you know, he looked so much more attacking and threatening over the wicket. But when they got hit for a few boundaries, he, they went around the wicket and then Crawley initially swept him for a couple of fours and then uh, Bearso just slapped him with some nice wrist work um, through the covers. It, it wasn't um, it wasn't the best display of, of, of spin bowling and spin bowling captaincy at that point. But these guys are in red hot form. It took a while for Johnny Bearso to warm up into the series. He's spoken about his injuries and t- time back into test cricket, but that's why they picked him to perform and to put on these kind of innings and, you know, they're worth their weight in gold. The only thing that was going to stop Joe Root was a roller. A, a, yeah. A, one that basically dribbled on the ground uh, and that was how he was dismissed for 91, chopped one on and, as you mentioned, that that will be something that Ingr- England will take a good look at with interest going into tomorrow. Yeah, it's a real shame for them that Moen Alley can't bowl because the ball is spinning. So if, if Todd Murphy, not a noted big spinner of the ball, a bit like Joe Root, I guess, in terms of revs, uh, he's getting it to spin a fair bit. And that was one of those balls from over the wicket into sort of the rough, not really footmarks there, but a bit of rough. And, yeah, it didn't bounce. Root played a, a drive, a loosish drive and inside edge onto the stumps. It was probably the only way they were going to get him because it was either that or run out. Uh, mm. But encouraging signs for Murphy, but really encouraging signs for England. Uh, there was actually a couple of balls throughout the test match that have kept a little bit low. Mark Wood got one on Marnus Labashane, but he just got his bat down in time. So the, the, the wicket is going to play some tricks, which makes Australia's job even more difficult. Moen Ali came in and kind of hobbled around with his groin in- injury and played a few shots, but then... After the dismissal of Johnny Bairstow for 78, Australia got into the tail. England lost four for 19, so it stumps nine for 389. There was a little bit of games play late in the gamesmanship, if you want to call it that, late in the day yeah. where uh, Australia were taking their time to bowl to the number 11 because they didn't want to maybe face an over or two, but <laughs> that happens. Spirit of cricket, Jack. It's all in the spirit of cricket. Uh, no, that's fine. A bit of gamesmanship. Uh, We'll, we'll, we'll allow that. Uh, yeah, Mick Stark with four wickets takes his tally to 23 for the series in four test matches. He's a leading wicket taker. Stuart Broad will have something to say about that on days four and potentially day five. But great return for him. He's battling that AC joint. So for him to come out and, and take another four wickets in the second innings and be Australia's pick of the bowlers. You look at the bowling stats this series, Stark out in front with 23, Cummins with 18 and five tests, 
Hazelwood, 16 in four. Cummins took 29 in five test matches in 2019. So big drop off for him, perhaps the way England are playing and the nature of the pitches and, of course, the captaincy burden may have impacted that as well. But Mitch Stark only played one test match in 2019. So uh, what's likely to be his last Ashes tour? Some have said that he couldn't bowl in English conditions because of the Duke's ball and the way it moves. And uh, But 23 in four matches with a strike rate of 33 very impressive stuff by Mitch Stark. He's had a very, very good series, Mitchell Stark. We're going to come back on the other side of this. We'll tell you who said what and talk about the glittering career of Stuart Broad, which will come to an end at the completion of this series. Stay with us. You're listening to Ashes Talk. This is Ashes Talk at the end of day three of the fifth test at the Oval. England in a wonderful position if you're a fan of English cricket, which we're not. So unfortunately, <laughs> it's not good for Australia. England nine for 389. It's a lead of 377. But at the close of play, a shock to English cricket. Stuart Broad announces his retirement. Here he is talking on Sky Sports. Uh, yeah, t- uh, tomorrow will be my, well, tomorrow or Monday will be my last game of cricket. You know, it's been a, a, a wonderful ride, um, a huge privilege to wear the Nottingshire and the England badge as much as I have and um, you know I'm loving cricket as much as I ever have it's been a, it's been such a wonderful series to be a part of um, and I've always wanted to finish at the top and this series just feels like it's it's been one of the most enjoyable entertainment that I've been a part of. Well I think he seems very comfortable with the decision Sam which when you retire and you walk away from something that you've been doing for the best part of 20 years I suppose you kind of need to be comfortable. I think so yeah yeah uh- what did he say at, at 8 o'clock the night before? He was not quite 50-50, but he'd been thinking about it. But then he went up to Ben Stokes' room and said, man, I think I'm going to retire. And it sat really well with him. And uh, then he told Jimmy Anderson and Joe Root and then told his teammates uh, the morning of day three um, and said he wanted to get it out there in case you know, it leaked out and didn't want his Nottinghamshire teammates mm. or his other English teammates to to find out that way. So an incredible career. Uh, lots and lots of stats here. I'll, I'll rattle them off because uh, – yeah, a decorated career, to say the least. He's going to finish the fifth highest wicket taker in Test cricket of all time. He's got 602 wickets at the moment. Surely we'll add to that tally on day four and five. Uh, he's played 167 Test matches. Incredible durability for yeah. a fast bowler. He's got the most Ashes wickets for England with 151 and counting. And he could match Glenn McGrath or even surpass him. Glenn's on 157 and he's got those wrecking ball type spells in him. So who knows? He might pass the Trent great Glenn McGrath. Is that what you're talking about? We'll get to that, Jack. We'll get to that. Um, he's played 138 of those 167 tests with James Anderson and he's taken 500 wickets in those matches. Jimmy has taken 537. So a 1,000 wickets between them in those matches. They won 59 of them, lost 45 and drew 33. Uh, speaking of his dur- durability, uh, he's played in every Ashes Test match at home since 2009. That's 25 tests with 104 wickets at 27. He's also a pretty good batter. Uh, his batting has dropped off a little while after he got copped a nasty bouncer and dented his confidence a little mm. bit. And from then on, he was batting at square leg, trying to hit everything for six. But he did make 169 against Pakistan at Laws in 2010. That match, most famous for the spot fixing. Scandal. Yes. Yeah. We don't want to talk about that one. Uh, you, sp- you spoke about the 8 for 15 at Trent Bridge 2015. I was there uh, just days before my birthday. Stuart brought 8 for 15. <laughs> it was one of those days where there were no plays and misses. Australia nicks everything, everything. and England yep. caught everything. Uh, and it was, I think it might have been the first time we saw the, the hand over the mouth sort of shocked celebration, which is now sort of famous for. Uh, 
yeah, he's he did one in 2009. The fifth test took six wickets. He did it at Durham in 2013, Trent Bridge in 2015. He's one of the few bowlers that when they get one, they get two, they get three. Uh, he's a real momentum bowler. He gets the crowd into it. Uh, tremendous, tremendous bowler. He's going to go down as one of the, the greatest fast bowlers of all time. It's probably certainly in England's best 11 of all time, I'd imagine, a bowling attack of maybe something like Truman or Willis, Anderson, Broad, but Beefy will be in there as well. So pretty handy, pretty handy attack. Um, and you know what? He's the ultimate Ashes villain for Australians. Um, what, this Courier Mail decided not to even print his name in the paper ahead of the 2013-14 <laughs> That's series. I remember that. Yeah. He took five wickets on day one, rocked up and had the paper under his arm and uh, he played to the crowd really well. Australians love to hate him, I think, because he's a competitor. He's hard-nosed. He gives it his all. They're the Australian qualities that we like to see in cricketers. Um, and I'm not going to have to worry about those celeb appeals anymore, which no. I'm grateful for. I'm no. sick of those. Although Miss Stark kind of did one. When he when he got Johnny Bairstow, so uh, just turn around and say appeal to the umps, guys. Bit of respect. I, I know you don't. I know you don't like them. <laughs> he's to me, he's in the sort of the Botham category in, in the respect that the Ashes series meant everything to him. So yep. you saw the best of Ian Botham in Ashes cricket. You saw the best of Stuart Broad in Ashes cricket, and that's not taking anything away from what he did in home series and on the subcontinent where he's got a pretty good record for quick bowlers where most quicks struggle over there. But when it came to an Ashes series, whether it was in England or Australia, one thing you could bank on was that Stuart Broad was going to give you 110% every single day of play. And you know what? Maybe that's why we hate him because he was so good against us in Ashes series, but it meant the world to him and you could tell. Yeah, and he said as much. He said he loved Ashes cricket and that he wanted to retire playing Ashes cricket. It was all for him, England versus Australia. Yeah, he only won one test match in Australia incredibly throughout his time, and that was in 2010 at Adelaide where he got injured and was ruled out for the rest of the series. Um, Here's a quote from him. It does make me feel proud to have 150 test wickets against the Aussies, to be in this sort of category with Warney and Glenn above. I loved every moment of bowling against Australia for sure. Apart from Mitchell Johnson bowling at Brisbane, that was horrific. <laughs> yeah, great. Like I said, he's very um, he's very well spoken, and um, he'll be in that Sky Sports commentary box by the end of next summer. I reckon by the start of it. Uh, yeah, he's a uh, and he's a good bloke. He's done a lot for charity. Um, you know, you should check out the Howie Games podcast with Stuart Braw. He speaks wonderfully well about his life, career, on and off the field. How he does a great job with that chat. So check it out. I'll put a link to that in the episode notes if you want to look it up. But, uh, yeah, we don't have to worry about him. He he won't be in the, the Australian well, nightmares. Yet. Well, not yeah, yet. one yeah. more to go. Yeah, one I feel like go. he's got one more ripping spell in him at the Oval, which is not good for Australia. So congratulations, Stuart. Well done. Even through gritted teeth we say that, but congratulations and well done. So from an Aussie point of view, Sam, this is going to take something Herculean, I think, from here. Either whether we decide to chase it down or we just decide to bat for an, forever mm. and ever. E- either way, the, the odds are against Australia right now. I think Hercules, <laughs> we need someone strong. We need Zeus. We need, <laughs> think of all the Roman and Greek gods you can combine them, and that's what Australia need to perform on days four and five. Okay, so high successful run chase at the Oval was Australia's nine for 263. Not a recent innings. That was in 1902. In modern-ish times, India made eight for 429 from 150.5 overs in 1979. 
Sonny Gavaskar made 221 runs in that innings. In India, fell nine runs short. Gee. That would have been a great run chase. Now, Australia have only scored more than the 377 they require four times in Test cricket history. Seven for three to one against New Zealand in Perth in 2001. That was a draw. 402 against England in Manchester in 1981, the Botham series. They lost that game. Three for 404 against England in Leeds in 1948, Brabham, the Invincibles, and 406 against England at Lords in 2009, which was a loss, so kind of recent in mm. England. And if they want to bat it out, Jack, they'll need to face roughly 180 overs, two days' worth of play, but there is some rain forecast for tomorrow afternoon, or day four afternoon, uh, and the way the overrates are going, probably won't have to worry about 180 overs, even still. The most they've faced is 165 six-ball overs, which was at the time 123.6 eight-ball overs back in 1950 in Durban. So, look, it's an Everest times a 1,000 to climb. But, uh, you know, the way this series has gone, I'm not ruling anything out. You just never know. Rain won't save the Australians, but we haven't seen a fourth innings century to win by any of these Australian batters. Steve Smith hasn't done it. Dave Warner hasn't done it. Kawhi hasn't done it. Maybe this is the time to do it. The pitch is playing pretty well. A few that are staying low. Forecast is okay. I'm sure there'll be periods of of cloudy co- of cloud cover, but most of it will be sunny. Uh, it is a, a, a tired England attack, um, so you never know. But there'll be some big crowds. Day four and day five are sold out. Still Broad's last test. Yeah, I think. Uh, what do we give? We'll give our what's our Willow Talk viz. We'll give it. Uh, <laughs> Seven percent. That's generous. Seven <laughs> percent feels very, very generous right now. So, with that in mind, who's your player to watch for day four? My player to watch is a person also playing in their last Ashes Test, David Warner. Now he's only got one significant score in his past. I don't know how many innings, 42, 45 innings, eighteen Tests or something. A long time, and it was two hundred at the MCG. Maybe Dave can do a Sonny Gavaska and get a 200, bow out of Ashes cricket, um, take a bit of the gloss off Stuart Broad's retirement with his own Ashes retirement. Um, who knows? He's got six f- scores of 20 or more with only one half century. He's looked okay. Maybe Sunday and Monday are the days for Dave Warner. I'm not going to hold my breath, but why not? Well, to be honest, I think if he wants to get his home farewell, Ooh. it would be in his best interest to, mm. to make a score, I think. Okay. Who you got? Tossed and turned with this one a little bit. I'm going to go Manus Labashain because he's another one that we, we spoke about him yesterday. He's had some interesting innings. He's had some where he's struggled. Um, as you say, the wicket's good. Get in. Take your time. Be positive. I'd love to see him finish this series, even if it's headed towards a draw or, or a loss more than, more than likely. I'd love mm-hmm. to see him finish this series with a, a, another really big score. He showed he can do it. He did it. Yeah. In the fourth test, albeit a draw, I don't know what happened on day two. That was funky stuff. Uh, I think he got in his own head just refusing to score any runs. But uh, we know that he can block it out. So <laughs> maybe maybe he's preparing for the fourth innings um, stalemate here. But you look at the, the runs tally, six of the top seven batters are English. So it's uh, it's been a big disparity in run scoring. And look at the Aussie Smith with 319, Head with 319, Labashain with 315. Uh, those guys averaging basically 35 for this series. They'll be disappointed with that. So they get one last chance to put a big score on the board. 
It may very well be the last day of the series. It'll be a series that we'll talk about for a long, long time to come. And, of course, we'll have you covered here on Ashes Talk. Thanks for being with us. Sam, as always, a pleasure, and we'll catch you next time. You will.